Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. our video welcome to the best life podcast this is danny J and jill coleman hey guys so we're actually on a zoom video right now so we'll, we'll probably post this on youtube or facebook as well but just so you know we are like seeing each other when this is the first time we're recording virtually instead of next to each other on the couch so it's kind of fun i know it's definitely fun although i like to point out that we actually just talked and caught up with each other for minutes before we even could start this podcast because I haven't seen you in a couple of days. Report on. <laughs> it's been like three days. So yeah, we had to catch up. So today I'm really excited because we're going to talk about a topic that I'm really, really excited and into and kind of have shifted my brand and business um, into the last few years and that's money. And Ooh. it's like how to get it, how to have a more abundant mindset, what do you do with it? And the big like bad four letter word debt. And that's where I get, uh, that's where I get really excited. And yeah. yeah, I love, I actually really love talking about this because I know you're such an expert. You've helped literally like hundreds and thousands of women either get out of debt or, you know, make money and take care of their family and all those kind of things. I'm interested in hearing each one of our stories and like kind of where we came from. Cause I think a lot of people listening have had a similar, probably, I think most people grow up with a scarcity mindset around money. And so they getting into kind of like how you change that. When do you change that? What does that look like? And I know you have a whole curriculum that you do with people to like get them to start to look at money in a different way. And I think the mindset piece is so big. Yeah, it's so, so big. I mean, we talk about mindset a lot when it comes to body image and, and business. And I think there's so many parallels when it comes to money. And in fact, if anything, I think you can implement the same strategies and mindset around money that you can to relationships and that you can to business and that you can to your body and and food. So I'm really excited because I think this will tie in well. So I was actually really curious because I, I know like we have a completely different background story. So our like from twenties on, we had like parallel lives, but growing up, we're very, very different. So I'm actually curious about your money stuff. I know we've had a few conversations and I've asked you about that, but I want to know like how you grew up around money and how it was talked about in your household. I grew up, I grew up extremely uh, grateful, extremely kind of uh, lucky in the sense that I was always, my parents, I was always middle class, upper middle class. You know, my parents put me through a private high school. They helped paid for college for my undergrad. And so I've always been super lucky. I think I didn't have an appreciation for money until I was on my own with, and I never took it for granted, but it wasn't until I distinctly remember a conversation that my parents had with me when I was a senior in college. And they said, we fully expect, we put you through school. We were able to do that that. And we fully expect that you're going to be 100% financially independent at 21 when you graduate. And I remember feeling like, how could I, like, I didn't, all my friends had parents that were giving them money. And I was like, how is that possible? How can you expect me to be on my own? And I'm so happy that they, that they did that for me. I grew up where we didn't take for granted money. I always, we always had enough. We were always lucky in that regard to do the things that we wanted, but I was never just given handouts. I always had to do work. I remember in high school, 
you know, my best friends would be like, let's go out. I'd be like, I have to mow the lawn for $10 really quick so I can get the money that I need to go to the movie. And so I always had to earn everything that I, and I was one of my first friends to get a, a job actually at a gym when I was 15. So I was always, the work ethic piece was always drilled into me alongside of, you know, there was always enough to provide. So very middle class though, when it comes to how you see money. So mm -hmm. things like getting deals, things like coupon cutting, things like uh, buy one, get one or BOGO. A lot of that, you know, my mom is, she's so great and she has plenty of money right now, but she always loved the art of the deal. She's just someone who always like loved that going to discount stores. We had this store called Building 19. If anyone's from the Boston area <laughs> or New England, you probably know Building 19. It's like, you can get stuff for pennies. And that was like what we did every single weekend. And so it was ingrained TJ Maxx, you know, Marshalls, these yeah. kind of like places where you can get an amazing purse at like 80% off. And so I grew up with that mentality. And it wasn't until actually my 20s when I started making my own money, I started actually like investing a little bit more and being a little bit loose with money. But prior to that, I felt I was like a hoarder. I was like, you know what? This yeah. might not be here. I, I'm on my own. I can't expect for anyone else to provide for me. And it was all great, but I was always a hard worker. So for me, total scarcity. Do you remember your parents ever saying things about people with money? Like, they're stuck up or they're snobby or like kind of we're different than them. Like, Oh, Jill, this is why, like, we don't have that kind of stuff. This is why you have to work. Did you ever feel like there was an us versus them at all or those kind of conversations? No, no, there wasn't that. But I was very like hyper aware of the fact that I was one of like only a few of my friends that actually had to work. You know, I, my parents could have just given me money, but they always wanted me to work for it in some capacity because honestly, like, you know, growing up, I was upper middle class. So I, I would consider myself probably, you know, like the rich kids, you know what I mean? Growing up, but I always had to be like amongst the rich kids, I was always having to work. And so it was a nice parallel, but I remember my parents sitting me down, you know, maybe sophomore year of high school and saying, you know, we just feel like you're not grateful. Like we mm. feel like you're not grateful. And I remember being so, of course, 15 years old, you're like such a bitch and you're just like <laughs> hormonal and all that kind of stuff. I was just a definitely a bitchy teenager. And I was like, how can you say that? Which is the response of someone who's <laughs> ungrateful, yeah. right? And so, but I'll never forget that moment. I mean, there's tons of things I forget in my childhood, but I'll never forget that moment. And looking back, I wasn't grateful. You know, mm -hmm. I just, because I didn't know what the alternative was. So I grew up extremely lucky, extremely grateful, but with the mentality of a middle-class mindset of like, we need to save, we need to get things on sale. We need mm -hmm. to find a discount. We need to cut a coupon, et cetera. That's really cool and interesting. I mean, there, there's a lot of parallels for mine as well, although we were definitely more of a, there was a lot more anxiety around money for me, for sure. Yep. So you, you know, I grew up in Las Vegas and perfect place to grow up with a compulsive gambler as a dad, not. And so, <laughs> yep. so my dad actually had a gambling problem and it split my parents up and I was about maybe six to seven years old when I first heard about what was happening. And I remember my dad would go to work. And so Fridays are like paydays still to this day. Fridays are generally known as payday. And every Friday, my dad was supposed to bring his paycheck home and, you know, pay the bills. And on Fridays, uh, and this was before cell phones, my mom would be on the phone. I remember her just pacing around the kitchen, trying to get a hold of him at work. And now it's like, six o'clock and he's not, he's not home yet. And then it's seven o'clock and he's not home yet. And it's eight o'clock and there's anxiety. And I'm watching my mom, like as a little girl, just not knowing what's going on. And then I'm scared that maybe, maybe dad's hurt. And of course, as an addict of something, he would come home with stories of he was robbed and he was 
Um, he was pickpocketed. So I was always afraid that people were always out to get us and get our money because I thought my dad was constantly getting robbed. <laughs> and <laughs> I'll tell you, my dad's been robbed more than anyone I know. Um, and I would even say stuff like, oh, I saw a homeless man and then I gave it. It's like, why would you give a homeless man your whole paycheck when you have a family and two children at home? Mm-hmm. But I didn't understand that. So there was just a lot of anxiety. And of course, once my mom found out what was really happening, uh, he might get home at two, three in the morning and I was asleep. And then I'd wake up to screaming and throwing and things at the walls and just crying. And my mom just using us as leverage. Like, how could you do this to your kids? And how could you do this to us? So there was a constant um, anxiety of dad not bringing home money. And then my mom would do things like if we did go grocery shopping, she would buy enough food to last us for two weeks till the next payday. So it was constantly one of those you can only have one because we have to make it last. Like we'd have to ration stuff because we didn't know when it would come again. And I also think this kind of tied into some food things, you know? Yeah, it, I was going to say, as you're saying that, I'm, I can see like scarcity around food. Like we have to yes. make it last. There's not going to be enough, right? Yeah. I mean, I, there's so many parallels into this is why I, I really got um, – excited about talking about this stuff because I think many people might be able to relate or see some parallels around this. So it was like buying, you know, we would, especially when payday would happen, my mom would go to the store and get everything she needed because it was like, use it up while we have it because we're not sure if we're going to have it again. So ultimately they got divorced. um, And then they ended up getting remarried to each other because my dad was cured and I'm doing finger quotes. If you can't see me on the podcast. Um, and of course addictions last and they persist. So he'd have, he'd have relapses and I moved back, we moved back in and I was in fifth grade and I had like allowance and I get money for my grandma for birthdays and my parents would make me buy my own things. So they would give me an allowance and I'd have to buy stuff. And there was a time where I had been saving money to buy myself new gymnastics grips and they were like 40 bucks, 40 or 60 or somewhere along the lines of that. And I remember my mom telling me, uh, you need to hide your money from your dad. And so I was saving all my money and I, I had like a piggy bank. It was a canister and I put the bills, like the $20 bills at the bottom. And then I put coins on top of it. So I like hid the bills underneath the coins. And then I took that canister, hid it in my closet in a box and then put a bunch of stuff on top of it. So I hid this money really, really well. And I went to go get it out to buy my gymnastics scripts and it was, the money was gone. Like the bills were gone. Wow. And I was so like, that was a moment, like you said, you'll never forget. That was a moment I'll never forget because I was so devastated and my heart sunk because I didn't want to tell on my dad because I thought that would break up the marriage again because now they Mm -hmm. had been divorced, already remarried, but I needed my stuff. So I was in the middle of this, how do I tell anybody that my money has been stolen? And obviously it was taken by my father. And if I tell on him, he's going to get in trouble. There's going to be fights. And so- Long story short, I did have to tell and he did get in trouble and there were fights. And so for me, money was very, very high anxiety producing. It was always scarcity. It was always this like, we need it, but we don't have it. And so it was an interesting um, dynamic too, because I remember we would drive, we'd get in the car and like on Sundays, we'd go drive in these nice neighborhoods and look at big houses. And my family was really big on just like, oh, I wonder what these people do. And they must be so like, what do they do for a living? And my mom would just fantasize about like these lives that they had. And on the other side of that, she would also kind of make these comments of like, oh, they must be snotty or snobby. And so it was like this, you want something and you want to be something, but yet 
you don't want to be like that kind of person. Right. There's this big conflict constantly of wanting it and not having it, wanting it and not having it. Yeah, that was an interesting thing for me. So when I finally moved out and I actually, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have the luxury of having my uh, college paper. They told me right away, you're going to have to be for it on your own. Yeah. So I was just a very hard worker and I was very much a saver. I would not spend anything. I was really, really frugal. My first apartment was very cheap. I lived in the ghetto, I, like with a roommate, my rent was like two fifty eight a month. Yeah. Mine was too, by the way, like just, even though I grew up in that like way, as soon as I was on my own, like I was rationing everything. I remember my yeah. very first job, I was making $23,000 a year. That was my very yeah. first job. And I was just grateful because I was like, it has benefits. <laughs> <laughs> totally. but you, I mean, that doesn't really go that far. So yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it just, um, I feel like in a way they did me a service. I think for both of us, great work, at work, work ethic. Yep. Um, I worked really hard. I was really, appreciative for what I had. And I was really, really mindful about spending and what I would get. And if I really wanted something, so same you and I aren't like really into name brands and buying anything flashy or fancy. And I just think it was because it just, I would buy what was necessary. And I also just started to value um, experiences over things because those were things we didn't really get to go on vacations and do that kind of stuff. And it was something I always wanted to do. So, so what would you say to someone who is in that, maybe what you just described feeling as though, always stressed about living paycheck to paycheck, always stressed about where the next, you know, there's not going to be enough money. We don't have any savings. Like what's the first step for someone like that? Yeah. So these are, these are things that just keep perpetuating. So even though you and I both moved out, we still have these tapes playing in the back of our mind, right? So there's new things that come up. So let's say you started at $20,000 a year and I started around there too. And what happens is the more you make, then your, your level of your cost of living goes up. Like you don't, if you're making $20,000 a year and suddenly you're making 60, you could do one of two things. You could stay living at that 20 and just keep banking all that money. Or you start to increase your, the things you're buying, which most people do. Most people go there and then they find themselves going, how did I get back in this situation? I make decent money. Uh, I make a good living. Most of the women I talk to have dual incomes, husband works, wife works, or they've got some, some money coming in and they're going, I make good money. I don't know where it goes. And it's because we're constantly in that. We've just had these, these tapes playing where it's like, as soon as it comes in, you spend it because you don't want to have it disappear or whatever the reason is. So I actually found myself, I was doing really, really well until I was 23 and I was paralyzed. And what happened after that was my medical bills were massive. And this was the first time I'd ever been in financial trouble as an adult. And I ended up having to file bankruptcy because I had uh, over a quarter million dollars in medical bills. I didn't have insurance and was just out of college. I didn't have a job that can make that kind of money. So I got really, really depressed. And I kind of like gave up being really, really responsible with my money because I felt like I was kind of screwed. Like, great. Now my credit's ruined and it wasn't even my fault. And I got a little bit sloppier. Fast forward a few years, my husband and I were caught in the, the housing bubble crash, you know, that happened all over the country, but Las Vegas was hit pretty hard and we ended up foreclosing on our home and he had to file bankruptcy because it was in his name. So it was like another big hit. And I think that going back to like relationships and identity, so often we also wrap our identity in what we do and how much money we make. Yep. And that was a big, big thing. When we lost our home, we ended up having to move to another state, move into an apartment. And I was devastated and embarrassed because I felt like it meant that we weren't successful anymore and that we weren't making it. And 
the downsizing was super embarrassing. And I think that one of the pieces that people get wrapped up in and stuck in is also how it looks to everybody else. So I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, It's like the fear of like we talked about in a couple episodes ago, we talked about kind of like going to worst case scenario. And I think what you just described for a lot of people is worst case scenario, having to like knock on my friend's door, sleep on their couch, ask for, you know, help or reach out to someone, even though like, of course your friends and family would do that for you in a heartbeat. And I know you had some friends that you like that were gracious enough to have you guys come and stay with them for a couple months. It's not a big deal, but to you, it does feel like a failure or judgment or you're going to be critiqued. And that's really scary for sure. But with the actual, I mean, you can tell me the actual reality of it, like not that actually bad. Like you can still figure it out from there. Oh, totally. And it comes down to what you said earlier of when your parents said you were ungrateful was literally just gratitude again. So we moved in with some friends. We, we decided to foreclose on the house. We didn't have to leave necessarily, but we were living there rent-free for about a year. And we were just kind of waiting for the banks to come in, kind of like a lot of people were doing that. I just felt gross about that. And I finally just said, let's just leave. I don't want the stress of the banks coming and worrying that we're going to have to get out. So I had a business partner at the time and she just bought a home. She said, why don't you guys come live with us? So we, and I was just about, I was just turning 30 years old. And of course, in my mind thinking when you you have this idea of ages where you should be at a certain point, right? Like I should be married and I should have kids and I should have a house. So I was like, I'm 30 years old and I'm moving in with my friends It was so embarrassing. I felt like I was supposed to be living. I was supposed to be selling that house and getting a bigger one. I was supposed to be getting a nicer car. And instead I was downsizing and moving in with friends. And it really was for me, I, it was a really low point. And I guess I, there was just one day where I was bawling. Oh, I know I was bawling because I got a ticket. I drove right through a stop sign because it was snowing and there was snow on the stop sign and I didn't see it. And I got a ticket for $80 and I had no money. And I came home and I was like, how, like, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Like $80 was the most. And I bawled for like an hour and a half. And I'm going, how can I do that? How am I, I could not see my way out. And then I started to think back to some other shitty things that had happened in my life. And I was like, Ooh, there was a time when this happened and I like had to have gratitude. So I started to do the thing kind of like your drive across like the worst night of your life, five things you're grateful for. So I literally was going, okay, I need to be grateful. And I, in that moment I was going, dang, I've been really bitchy that I've been living with my friends. I am so grateful that I have friends with that would let me stay with them rent free and have a place to go. And we had two dogs. Who does that? Let (laughs) two people live in their house with their two dogs. So I was like, dang, I am grateful that I have these kind of friends. And then it was, I'm really grateful that we had this one car because our other car broke down. That was the other piece that made me cry. It was like, our cars are breaking down. Our birds' heads are falling off. It was (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I just turned into gratitude. So I think for somebody in this position, it's super, super hard. And it's like the thing that I think can be in almost every answer is just going, what actually do you have in front of you? You can, even if you're homeless, you can be grateful for like a blanket that night or somebody dropped off food on the corner. You know, I think no matter where you are, you can find something to be grateful for. And I really believe that was when it started to shift. So I started a journal, started making, writing down 10 things every night. Um, And I've, you know, I've been inconsistent with this writing it down, but for a while we would just, before we went to bed, my husband and I would say things. And so literally right after we ended up moving to another state 
and I was still like not seeing my way out. And uh, I found a woman, I was Googling myself, weird ass thing that I do. And I found a woman named Danny Johnson who had a story that was worse than mine. She was homeless, turned into a millionaire. And I read her book and I ended up seeing her live. And uh, I'll tell you the, the big thing that shifted and that was giving. So this was like the thing that probably shifted everything for me. I had followed Dave Ramsey and I was trying to find out ways to get out of debt, but the giving and the gratitude were the things that really, really shifted. And I'm going to challenge anybody on this podcast and I would love to hear what you do and your stories. But the one thing Danny said is like, people always say, when I make more money, I'll give, right? Like I'll donate to charities when I make money. But if you're not being able to give and be generous now, what makes you think when you're making $100 million that you're going to give away $100,000? Like you're going to be like, no, that's a lot of money to give away. So if you can start being generous when you have less, you're going to be more generous when you have more. And I was under the impression that if I can't pay the bills, I can't give to anyone else. But to be honest, I mean, nobody was going to come take the roof over my head away. So um, we made this effort to put 10% of our income into an envelope for specifically forgiving and just got into this practice. And we didn't know where it was going to go. And one night my husband was out of town and I snuck in the closet and there was the envelope. I didn't know how much was in it. I opened it up, counted there was $400. And I was like, holy shit, we can't give away $400. (laughs) This is my car could break down. Like, this can my, this might fix it. There's like no way. So I almost stole half of the money that we had set aside to give. I was going to steal it because he didn't know how much I was like, okay, I could steal 200, put it in my sock drawer, put the other 200. That's still a lot. Like the $200, let's be honest. That's generous to give away. Mental argument, told myself to just shut up, put it back. And a few days later I was on Facebook and some group was trying to raise money for an orphanage to put a roof on it. And I was like, oh my God, this is where the money's going to go. And so I told Nate, I go, hey, we're going to donate to this orphanage. He goes, okay. I ran to the closet, grabbed the cash, ran to the car, drove to the ATM, put it in the ATM, came back home, typed in my debit card, $400, hit enter. And I freaking screamed that I just gave away $400. And that was literally the moment that shifted a whole, whole lot for me. And right after, I mean, it was, I can't even tell you how many like miracles happened right after that, but somebody who owed me money from two years ago came out of the woodwork and paid me back. I thought of a new business idea and I made like $5,000 out of nothing. And I truly, truly believe that when we're in, and I even do this to this day, um, when I'm in a really weird, stressed out place with money, I give money away. And so it it doesn't always come back like it did then, but I just, for me, I have to challenge myself to like, let that go and realize that it's, it's not going to affect me anymore. Right. If I'm already broke, I'm already broke. If I have $20 in my bank account and I give away my last 20, it's not like I could do any more out of that. So that's like crazy. And I'm actually curious if you do any weird stuff to like help your abundance mindset like that or. For me, a lot of my shift came when I started valuing my time more. And so I was completely maxed out. I was lucky enough that I had built up my business to the point where I was working full time. And then I was working uh, like 30 hours in the gym each week, personal training, uh, teaching group fitness classes. And I was getting paid more and more and more over the years. 
But then I got to a point where I was completely maxed out. And it was at that point that I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. So I know a lot of you guys have probably read that book or listened to that book. It was 2007. I listened to The 4-Hour Workweek and it completely blew my mind because Tim Ferriss started valuing time over money. And to me, I was like, that's a recipe for being broke. Like, <laughs> like if you choose time over money, like you're never going to fucking work. And so I remember thinking like, that's not going to work. However, staring in the face, staring me in the face was a schedule that I just couldn't keep up with 70, 80 hours a week in the gym, working my ass off. And so I remember this was the huge first step for me in abundance and valuing my time. I actually went to my, my boss at my full-time job and I said, Hey, I'm wondering if I can get off two afternoons a week, Tuesday and Thursday afternoons from like one to five and take those completely off. And I'm happy to take a pay cut to do it. At this point, I was starting to build Jill Fit and I was like, I need more time. I'm, I'm getting my master's. I'm like all doing all this stuff. I said, I'll take a pay cut. And secondly, I would like to, for us to try and find some money to bring on an assistant for me to do some administrative work and things like that. And those were two really scary asks because he could have been like, no, uh, I'm going to find someone who can do it full time and is happy with the job, you know? So, So I was really scared to ask for that. At the same time, over a period, I increased my rates with my personal training clients. And that was really scary too. But I, again, had gotten to the point where if people couldn't pay my rates, then I was actually going to be okay with losing clients. And I lost about 10% of my clientele uh, when I went to $100 an hour. So I had worked it up from $17 an hour all the way up to 100 and about 10% of my clientele left. And I totally get that, but I did my best to like match people up and we did some partner workouts. So really I was crafting a schedule and working less, but for the time I was working, I was making more money, but it was scary because I did have to take a, a temporary pay cut, right? In, but I was able to free up my time. So when I'm working on Jill Fit, I was creating things that quote, you know, make money while I sleep or live on. And honestly, Danny, like that's the number one thing that changed for me in terms of being able to, to accumulate more wealth and to be living in abundance was actually valuing my time and choosing time over money. Now it sounds super counterintuitive, but I've always valued time over money. And ever since I started making that choice, my income has completely skyrocketed. Well, this is what you did and I did as both of us found someone like a mentor and opened our ideas up to a different way because Tim Ferriss's way is completely different than the go to work paycheck hourly kind of thing, right? So most people think, well, you get a job and this is what you get paid. And there's a Jim Rohn. He's one of my favorites of all time. He was talking about his mentor and he said, well, how much do you make? And he told him and he goes, he goes, well, this is all I make. This is all they pay me. And he goes, well, does anyone else at your job make more than you? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, so that's not all they pay. It's just all they pay you. And so there's this idea that we can only make whatever we get paid and that's really not the case. And so you learned a way to leverage your time and make more. And I think some people get stuck in the idea of like, well, this is all my job pays. Well, so, right. You can look at it like, okay, we're going to build our business or build our wealth like three ways, right? It's either charge more for your services, which is what I did. Take on more clients, which I was already maxed out at that or create new products offerings to hit new things, which is starting Jill Fit. And what you started with your online business with Sweaty Betty's is like, that's a new stream of revenue. We haven't tapped the online space yet. And so simultaneously, as you're making these shifts and you're valuing your time a little bit more, the other thing I was doing was I was being more abundant with my money. I was spending way more money than I ever had 
And it was scary. And you know, what's so funny is one of the times that I did this was actually our wedding. So when Jade and I got married, we uh, decided that instead of having like a huge wedding with like tons and tons of people, we wanted to have a really small, we had like 25 people, friends, family, super, super close friends. And we paid for everyone to go and spend the weekend in Asheville, North Carolina at a resort. And we put everyone up, we paid for all the guest rooms, we paid for all the dinners, we paid for everyone to get a massage and go golfing. Like we put people up because we just wanted to make, to make them feel super special and spend their weekend with us. And I remember the whole weekend, like compared to other weddings, it's not that much, but for three days and 25 people, I mean, I think we spent $15,000 between the two of us, Mm -hmm. which was like a huge amount. And I remember feeling nervous to do that, but also feeling like, you know, this is something that I want to invest in. And and it wasn't because I was going to get $16,000 back or something like that, which investing in your business is a little bit different, but spending just really made me feel good. Like I'm going to create this experience. And so since then, that has just mostly been my MO. And honestly, when I'm more free with giving to, uh, we're a little bit different because I'm, I'm getting more into charitable giving. But for me right now, I've always been generous with friends, family. My three younger brothers are a lot younger than me. So I'm always like, I like being in the position of being able to give and being able to provide and being able to the one who picks up the check and stuff like that. And I think my brother, Danny, living with Jade and I for three years gave me the opportunity to do that, to be like, he's like 19 years old, he's in school. And I was able to, uh, you know, just provide a little bit more roof over his head, but like take him out to dinner and like do that kind of stuff. And I think getting used to providing, of course, it's a, you know, it's a fine line between be, be giving too much, taking, being taken advantage of, but it's always come back to me. Every time I'm giving more, more gracious, more open with, without a string attached, by the way, yeah. it has always come back to me. Well, I think it comes down to a feeling. So what you said about your wedding was that it just, you, you spend a lot of money. It was a ton of money, but you could have pulled back, made sure that you, you didn't have that full experience of, of, just the feeling of abundance. I think it comes down to just how it makes you feel. So for some people, it is like buying something that makes them feel really good and, or it's, it's donating to a charity. I think ultimately if you can get into that, I can't explain it other than that feeling of abundance of knowing that it's okay and there's enough and this feels good. Then you are more open to receiving more. You're more open to ideas. You're more open to being able to walk into your boss and ask for that raise that you deserve and not feeling bad or guilty about it and understanding that if it goes away, fine, you'll find something else. So it's kind of a a matter of, of trust and it's a matter of also releasing or maybe even surrendering to thinking you actually have control. One of the examples I give (laughs) is I made a video and I can't really show it on the uh, podcast, but like think about an open hand. So if you have your hand, just holding your hand out. So if you put money in your hand and your hand is open, somebody could come grab it. They can swipe it away, but you can also have more. Somebody could go slap an extra couple hundreds on there. But if you have your hand in a fist, so let's say you're holding onto that money so, so tightly because you're not sure if anything, you don't want to let it go, right? You're you're like, I'm not going to spend it. I'm not going to do anything. Well, you have that money in your hand, but you also cannot put any more into that like fist. So the feeling of abundance to me is like the open hand. It's being willing to spend and being willing to have it come and go. It's a flow. You're not going to be able to make more if you're constantly just in that place of, I can't give, uh, I can't spend, you know, I can't have a wedding. I'm just going to like make sure everybody uh, only eats like the one thing on the menu and we have to like nitpick everything. It really has to be a like, like a open energy versus a tight, constricted, holding on to every little penny, every little piece energy. 
I think once you make that shift, I love that you said that because, you know, back when I was hoarding all my money and I was being super frugal and I was, I mean, I'm still like not stupid with money, but I think I was making the least amount possible then, right? I just didn't see that there are many other things on the menu. And so when we say abundance, I like the way you describe it as um, a flow, because I think for a lot of people, when you say, oh, there's plenty of clients, there's plenty of success, there's plenty of money to go around. A lot of people don't feel that way. So how do you, like, you know, what would be an example of someone, I don't know, maybe your personal trainer or someone like that, who doesn't feel, who feels very much like this is going to go away, is operating in scarcity do they bump their prices? Do they uh, create, like, where do they go from there? Yeah. I mean, I think that's why I gave the example of giving the money away because I realized ultimately, so let's say I was putting that money in an envelope for a while, the $400. So literally it was actually gone. It was in a closet out of sight, out of mind. It was technically gone. So for me to actually give it away, it didn't change my life. I didn't die. We didn't fall. We didn't, you know, nothing shifted. And so kind of what we've talked about in, in past episodes is giving, giving yourself reasons to create evidence that it's working and that there is enough. So sometimes I, and it's one of those, like, which do you do first? And what's right. the egg kind of thing, but it's like, okay, I'm going to quote unquote fire this client to give myself more time and space and maybe open up this time slot for a new person that I can charge more. And it is scary to let that go, but it's like, open up your fist and see what happens. And you, you kind of have to trust and see and give yourself the evidence that it works. And I, re- I had a client that I had three days a week. I mean, good paying because it was three days a week, but it was 5 a.m. And it was just stressful to me. And it was just not a time I wanted to be up. And I was going, oh, I need this. As soon as I let him go, I actually got another client at a different time that worked better for me, that paid me more money. And I really, really believe it's, it's funny, but sometimes when we finally just make that decision, it's like, it shifts right away and you're going, why was it? Why did I wait so damn long? It's, it's kind of like, I know we talked about this a little bit in another one. I'm not sure which, which episode, the as if principle, right? So like you have to start acting as if you're someone, like if you look at someone like your mom looking at those homes and going like, I wonder what they're doing in there, right? You kind of have to start living the lifestyle of someone who is in abundance and has money has the kind of money that you want. So asking yourself in situations, you know, I mean, you're not going to be able to do everything, but like one of the things I pride myself on is being able to like take care of the bill, even if it's like a lot of money. Like, you know, again, before I was as successful as I am now, like being able to pick up the check, even for like for my parents, they're in town. You know what I mean? It feels like I, I like the feeling of being able to do that when I can, or, you know, like I said, providing for my brothers or, you know, even if it's investing in your business, I know for me, so if you guys are in business, you probably have an email autoresponder software or something like that. And the way these things work is you're collecting emails. And every time you jump to the next level of, of amount of emails you have, you have to pay more money. And I like pride myself. Like I'm like, Ooh, I'm like paying more money now. I'll never forget this. And this is like so silly, but I'll never forget this. It was an interview that I was watching or reading with uh, P Diddy or Puffy or whatever his name is now. P Diddy was like, I paid 5 million in taxes last year. I'm proud of that. And I was like, yeah, like, so you almost take on, if you want to get to that level and you want to have abundance, you have to kind of start acting like someone who already has it before you do and trust, like you said, trust that it's going to show up. And so I have a lot of examples in my own life of kind of starting to do that. And I really learned a lot of that from Jade. He was someone who was like, you know what? We don't have enough money to, you know, go to Hawaii for two weeks, but we have enough money to go to Asheville for the weekend. You know, it's a couple hundred bucks. Let's figure it out. And then let's go up and like work from a hotel room and like, you know, and be someone who's living that entrepreneurial lifestyle before we were fully able to go to that 100%. Yeah. So 
so many things that stood out to me while you were talking, but that's the as if principle I think is massive. I think that you really do have to, you, if you look at these people and you're going, I want that kind of life, think how would you, I, this is the thing I use. I say, what would Oprah do? WWO instead. (laughs) What would Oprah do? Would she be, would she be upset over this little bill? Would she be upset over this? And I'm going, if I want to have a certain level of success, and maybe you don't have to use Oprah, but maybe somebody you just admire or you want their kind of lifestyle, what would they do? And if you're going, if you're like freaking out over something small and you realize that person wouldn't, you have to go, okay, how can I be that person now? How can I act that way now? There's one really strong principle that actually is probably the one thing besides the giving that shifted everything for me. And this also came from Danny Johnson, or I learned it from Danny Johnson and you guys can get her book. It's called first steps to wealth. I think it's free. I don't know if it's on Amazon. You may just Google it, but first steps to wealth. And she gave this quote, which I believe comes from the Bible and I'm no Bible studying person, but it's um, if you're faithful with the little things, you'll be made ruler over much. And it was really, this helped me in my business. This helped me with money. And I basically just had this mantra of faithful with the little things, faithful with the little things. So if we are given, let's say you're given a certain amount of money to govern over every month. So let's say you get $3,000 a month. Okay. You have $36,000 a year job and you're complaining about the $3,000. You're like, it's not enough. It's not enough. Well, if you already are upset about the 3000 if you believe in the universe or anything, it's like, why would you be given any more if you're, if you're mismanaging that? So I, I use this example. If you have a kid, let's say a 10 year old and they want an iPad and you give them an iPad and they break it. And then they come to you and they're like, Hey, I need a new iPad. Or I want like a a TV. Now you're going to be like, you're out of your mind. You destroyed what I gave you. Why am I going to give you more? So this was something that just burned into my head going, dang, I have not been faithful with what I have. I've been complaining about what I don't have. I haven't been faithful with the money I've been given. Why would I be given more? And why would I deserve more? And I say this about social media too, all the time. I, you know, people, they want millions of followers. And I'm like, well, what about, and they're like, I only have a hundred. I'm going, okay, well you need to like be amazing to those hundred followers before you get more. So I think this applies in so many things, but this mantra of faithful with the little things was a really, really big shift for me of being able to prosper where I was planted and decide that what I have is enough before I could have more. You really have to be okay with what you have now. And what's the alternative? You don't have anything more now. So you got to be okay with what you got. I love that. And I always remember that, especially when you, like you and I were teaching business and I see that so much with people just getting started because it's not bright and shiny, right? $3,000 is not shiny compared to $6,000 a month or $10,000 a month, the place that you want to get to. But everyone starts with two followers, one follower, right? Everyone starts with getting their first job and $24,000. And you know, what's funny is as you make more money, like you said, your living kind of changes like the level of living, but also like if you're not happy at like getting $24,000 a year, you're not gonna be happy at a quarter of a million a year either mm-hmm. because it doesn't, it just, you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. a different set of problems. It, you have more like convenience type stuff. So a little bit of the stress is less, but still like there's a whole nother set of things that you're challenged you're dealing with. And a lot of that comes down to mindset. Yeah. And it's honestly, this is why mindset is big. And I think you need this piece before you can even have more because look at NFL, ex NFL players, NBA players. So many of them are making tens of millions of dollars. Two years after they retire, they're bankrupt because they grew up in a poverty mindset. It's like, 
you're making $60,000 a year and you're spending 65, there's no difference between that and the guy that's making 100 million a year and he's spending 200 million a year. They're just on a different level. So we tend to judge them and go, man, if I was making 40 million a year or 40 million a game, I'd be doing amazing. Well, you don't know. You're already doing the same thing they're doing. It's just on a smaller scale. You're making 40,000 a year and spending 50,000. They're making 40 million, spending 50 million. You have to realize that it's all about the mindset. And if you can get it now at 40, thousand dollars a year imagine where you'll be when you are making 60 70 80 and you can actually be more financially free and well off and stable making 60 grand a year than the person who is making 200,000 and they're not being wise with their with their money totally totally so, i love it so i know you have a lot of tools and stuff like that do we want to get into that or maybe save that for a part 2 yeah, maybe we like, should save that for a part two. I have, yeah, I have so many, but definitely I would say for now, check out. I mean, should, I mean, should we also just send people to your freebie because it's amazing? Should we just send people to find the money? Absolutely. So I do a, a really fun challenge called Find the Money Project and people on average find between $1,200 and $1,800 in, in two weeks or less. And um, there is, of course, a program I have later on that goes into, literally there's nine modules. It's about your environment spending habits, limiting beliefs, saving habits, giving habits, wants and needs, investing, abundance and frugality, all that stuff. But even to start just some like cheap things to look up, I would look up that book, uh, First Steps to Wealth. And also there's a book called Overcoming Under Earning by Barbara Stanny, I believe it is. And that was really um, a great book for me to kind of start shifting mindset and money beliefs to overcoming under earning. So we'll link those in the show notes and yeah, we'll have to talk more about this. Cause I think it's, I think it's fun. And I think it actually ties into so many other things that we talk about business, body, food. Yeah, no, I love that you made a comparison of like the control versus trust mindset, because I really think that is like, again, jumping before you're ready trusting yourself enough that there's going to be enough, trusting the process, trusting your capabilities that if you do get in a bind, like you can do something to get you back to baseline or whatever that is. So I want to continue that discussion. If you guys, if this resonates with you, if you're like, we would love to hear from you. Like what's the struggle around money? What is the, what's the belief? What's the change? What's the thing that you know that you maybe quote should do or that you know what your next step is like that's the thing is like you, you know there's a lot of tools here that we talked about and a lot in find the money project you know what what are the barriers to that what are the barriers to creating an online program or investing your or giving 10% or 5% or 2% of your income what are or being grateful like what are the things i know sometimes it's so hard to be grateful when you want something different, you know, you're making a couple grand a month and you want to be making 10 grand a month. So it's hard to feel discontent and grateful at the same time. And sometimes we feel like if we don't have the discontent, it's like giving up, yeah. right? It's like, oh, if I'm grateful for this, that's going to take away my ability to strive. And I know for Danny and I, it was the complete opposite. It was the yeah. complete opposite effect. It's like the more like I feel appreciative for the clients that I do have, the, how I service them, the value that I offer them, I'm able to bring on more. So they're not mutually exclusive. Gratitude and striving, definitely not mutually exclusive. But we'd love to hear from you guys. If you're not in our closed Facebook group, just go to Facebook and search The Best Life Podcast. Join the discussion there because I know that this is juicy. Uh, we talk to women all the time who want to make more money, don't know how to do it, want to feel an abundance, don't know how to do it, feel like they have a lot of barriers and things against them, don't know what the first step is or even have the courage or even know how to take that first step. So make sure you join the conversation because 
because we can be talking about this for a while. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Make sure to, if you really love this episode, maybe you share it with somebody, please subscribe, leave a review and a rating and um, yeah, share and tell your friends because the bigger we can make an impact and you guys share this message, the more we can just, I don't know, we can make more Make more money, babies. Um, well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, is it, is it just about money or is it about also impact? So for example, if you're a personal trainer working at the gym, you're maybe seeing, you know, maybe at the most 20 clients a week, 20 different people versus if you're like, okay, let me take a couple afternoons off, write some stuff on the internet, create a product or service that people can do at home and sell that to people on the other side of the country or the other side of the world. Now you're working with hundreds of people, dozens of people, thousands of people. And yeah, it takes some ramp up time. We'll certainly talk about entrepreneurship on the show, but like the impact of that, like all of us have gifts that like need to be more well-received. And when you have the money and the, the ability to do that, you can reach so many more people. So if you can't, I forget what was it that Brendan Burchard said at uh, summit of greatness, he was basically like, you need the money to perpetuate the message, right? Yeah. If you don't yeah. have the money, you can't perpetuate the message and the message is so needed. It's so valuable. And so we got to find a way to do it. I'm writing this down. This is going to be a whole episode of income and impact because that is like really, really a big, big, big one we could talk about. Yeah. I'm super excited. Love it. Well, thank you guys so much. And we love to see your comments, love to hear everything. We love to watch your Instagram stories too. So we appreciate you and we'll see you on the next one.